We are in Ephesians chapter 2. If you would turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be looking at the last half of the, the chapter, verses 11 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2. You know, the best part about having AC is I have my own, like, controller. Because, you know, some of you come in here and go, it's too cold. Or how many of you love it? How many of you are, like, too cold? Bring a jacket. <laughs> I mean, come on. The wear all, there's all that winter stuff you have in your closet you never get to wear. You can wear it. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 2, say amen if you're there. Okay, let's read verse 11 through 22. Therefore, remember, Paul saying to the Ephesians church, that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who hath made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinance so as to create in himself one new man from the two, speaking of Jew and Gentile, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers, you're no longer foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having, be, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Ooh, I just crushed a communion cup. That's going to stain. Sorry. Sorry, Father. Lord, Father, we just thank you. Uh, maybe just remind me of the blood of Christ. So we just remember that it's the blood of Christ that saves us, Lord. We pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh. Okay, well, important part of the scripture, I've entitled the message uh, Access to God, that when, when Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, paid for our sins, he tore that veil in two from top to bottom. And now we have access to God. And as we give our life to Jesus Christ, we become born again. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are now the temple of God. The temple is not a building. This is that, you know, when people say, hey, where's the church at? I know what they're saying. They're saying, where's the building? But in reality, when they say, where's the church at? I, I have to say, well, uh, they're all over the community right now because you are the church. You are the body of Christ. You are the temple and the Holy Spirit dwells inside. In a sense, you are that holy of holies where Christ puts himself inside of you. 
And that's the tremendous privilege and blessings that you and me have is that we can tap into all the resources. God says he has given us all spiritual blessings, all. You have so much at your fingertips that you don't even realize if you haven't read this book. If you read this book, you realize you don't have to walk around defeated. You could walk around victorious because no matter what's going on around you, Jesus is still on the throne. No matter what's going on around you, no man can pluck you out of his hand. You're his. Your eyes are set on here. Your pilgrims passing through. This is not your, your home. You're out here. And I think we're out here sooner than we think. But see, before all this happened, there was a tremendous hatred going on between Jew and Gentile. I mean, a tremendous hatred. When it says there in uh, verse 11, therefore remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. So you look at that, you go, well, what's the big deal? Because, you know, every time we've read through the Bible, you and I, when we hear uncircumcised, we think of Gentiles. And when we hear him say those of the circumcision, we think of Jews. So what's the big deal? Well, really, uncircumcision was a racial slur. It was basically the Jews calling the Gentiles a bunch of losers and a bunch of immoral, a bunch of animals. And, and before you, like, you, you get this idea like, oh, you know, well, Jews, they're so racist and they're so judgmental and everything, you've got to remember that the Gentiles at that time earned that title. They were out of control. They were just all about immorality. It was all about please the flesh. They were serving all kinds of gods. They were totally immoral. And the Jews had an attitude against them. And in a sense, rightfully so. But then they also had an attitude against the Jews because they looked self-righteous, judgmental, and acted like they were holier than thou. So there was this, like, they were butting heads. Now, you've got to remember that for the Jews, they were the ones that actually had the Word of God. And so in a sense... They felt that they were nearer to God because they had the oracles of God. They had been keeping the feast. They had been bringing sacrifices. They were kosher. They were doing this. They were doing that to where the Gentiles weren't doing anything like that. And so the Jews in their minds thought God could save them because at least they were trying. The Gentiles weren't even trying. So this was really upsetting to them when the Gentiles, when they found out by the preaching of the apostles that a Gentile could be saved. They thought, man, that's not fair. I mean, and you can understand this. You know, when we were going through the book of Galatians and we were talking about legalisms and how the legalists were trying to, the Judaizers were trying to bring people back under the law and they're saying, okay, you're a Christian, that's all right, but you got to be circumcised, you got to keep the law, you got to do this, you got to do that. And Paul said, no way. The Son has set you free, you're free indeed. But you can understand why the legalist thought that. Because in his mind, he said, let's say if he was 30 years old, he spent 30 years of his life bringing sacrifices, reading the Bible, keeping a kosher diet, doing this and doing that, honoring the feast. And to think that a Gentile who never did any of that could just get right in by calling on the name of Jesus. That's an offense. That's not fair. We did all this. So you can understand why the legalists thought in his mind that all Gentiles needed to become Jews first and then they could become Christians. So you guys need to go through what we were going through in order to become a Christian. And God said, no way. 
And so the Jew would say, well, well, then what was the purpose of us doing that? He was, and God would say to the Jew, I set you apart from the world. I gave you these things to do so the world would know that you were different and that you trusted in the true and living God and not the things of this world. And it's so important for us to understand that. So for the Gentile to just get in, we were like, Hoo-hoo, yeah, we got in, praise the Lord. And the Jew was like, no fair. And you know, the church today is primarily made up of Gentiles because Israel as a nation turned their back on God. Now, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 Jews got saved. That was Jews. But when you look at the, the church at large today, it's primary Gentiles. Do we have any Jewish people here? Raise your hand if we have any Jewish people. Okay, for the record on the radio, no hands were raised. So you see what I mean? God's called you to get the word out. And that's the importance of us understanding chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians so you know how God sees you. Because, you know what? A lot of you only see what your friends think of you on Instagram. And you know how crushing that is, how somebody can just blow you up on Instagram and all of a sudden everybody believes it because why? It was on Instagram. And you'd get your reputation destroyed. God hates gossip. The Bible tells us anybody that receives half a counsel and makes a judgment call is a shame and a folly to the Lord. Don't buy into gossip that people are saying about you or your friends. God has chosen you. God has picked you. You were, as we looked at the first half of this this chapter, he showed us that we were once gone astray. Before we knew Jesus Christ, he says that we were blown by the course of this world. And who was doing the blowing? The prince of this world. And who's the prince of this world? Satan. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, Satan took over. They handed the title deed over to him. He became the prince of this world. But God says in his word one day he will judge that prince and cast him into hell. Jesus bought back the world with his blood on the cross and is coming one day to take it back. And until then, you have a job to do, and that's to get the gospel out. In the midst of this crazy world, when everything's going off all around you, keep your focus. Get the gospel out. There's people all around you that aren't saved. You have privileges. But he said before you got saved, chapter 2, the beginning of it, he says that you were, you were blown by Satan. And you were, you were headed towards the course of this world. What does that mean? That means when the world went this way, you went over here. And then when the world went that way, you went over here. And when the world went to MTV, you went to MTV. And when the world told you to do this, you said, how many times? But then God took you from being dead in your trespasses and sins and quickened you and made you alive as you called upon his name and he made you a believer in Christ Jesus. And then we we looked at not only our past, we were disobedient, we were called children of wrath, but we saw our presence that now we're, we're saved by grace and not by works. And then we saw our future where he sees us seated in the heavenlies and that we are his workmanship, his poema. We are his masterpiece. He is making us currently now and won't be finished until we're standing in his presence where he's making us into a work of art so when people look at you they see jesus they don't even see you and so you can understand that when the jews 
who all these centuries were, were keeping the rules, the commandments, and the sacrifices, and the feasts, when, when it, they found out Gentiles could just come as they are and get saved, they were offended. Do you, you understand how that could be? I mean, you know, it's kind of like the prodigal son story, right? Prodigal son runs off, squanders his inheritance, comes back, and, and, and the father puts a ring on his finger, a robe on him, and says, kill the fat of calf, let's have a party. My son, he was, he was lost, but now he's found. He's dead, but now he's alive. But his brother got really upset. Why? Because I've been here all along serving you faithfully. I can't believe this. So I can have a little compassion for the Jews, right? It would be like a Jewish family. you got a Jewish family, who's, and the father is very wealthy very wealthy, and he's got his son who's the apple of his eye, and he's got daughters too, and, and you know, and his family's everything, and then all of a sudden he, he goes out and he grabs probably, you know, the most disgusting person off the street and brings them home, some guy in his 20s, and he says, listen, uh, everybody meet your new brother. I adopted him. He's mine, and he has access to all the inheritance just like you. There would be a little offense in that family. What? I, are, are you kidding me? I've served you all of my life, and this guy just comes in. And that's the grace of God. That's the point. God's grace at any point in your life. You can call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Let me show you something in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, just to prove this point, Jesus has a parable that he gives to uh, the people and I think it says exactly what I'm looking for. Matthew chapter 20. It says the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers. For his vineyard. No, so, so here's you got this guy. He's a landowner. He's a wealthy guy. He's got a giant vineyard. And so he's got to go out and hire because it's harvest time. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, that doesn't seem like much, but it was back then. You could actually get something for a penny, right? He sent them into the vineyard. And then he went, up, went out about the third hour. So the third hour would be 9 o'clock in the morning. So he went out at 6, hired some guys, said, go into the field. I'll give you a penny for the whole day. They're like, psych, I'm out there. And then he goes out at 9 o'clock, and, and he gets some more. And they're standing around the marketplace. He said, what, you go also into the, into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I'll give you. So then he went out again about the sixth hour, that's noon, and the ninth hour, that's three, and he did likewise. And about, and, and about the eleventh hour, which is five in the afternoon, he went out and he found others standing idle, and he said unto them, we, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard, and whatever's right for you, I'll receive. You'll receive. So here's the deal. He's got a vineyard. When the, when the grapes are ripe and the harvest is ready, you got to do it fast. Because if rain's coming, if he looks out and he sees that rain might be coming, he, he's got to get those grapes quickly because if those grapes get wet during the harvest and they're all piled up together, they mold, he loses the whole crop. So here, this is why this guy is desperate to get guys in. He's going out at 6 in the morning. He's going out at 9. He's going out at 12. He's going out at 3. He's going out at 5. And so you see all these people. They've come at different times of the day. And, and so then check this out. Verse 8. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Why the last to the first? 
Because he wants the first to see what he's going to do to the last. Right? And when those that came who were hired about the 11th hour, 5 o'clock, they each received a penny. So you can believe the guys that showed up at 6 at night are like psyching right now. They're like, man, if, they're, if he's giving them a penny for an hour's work, we're going to get seven pennies, right? They're all, they're all jacked up. But when, they first came, when the first came, supposing that they would receive more, they likewise received each a penny. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us? who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, and he said this. Check this out. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a penny? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Is your eye evil because I'm good? See, you can be saved on your deathbed. But if you're here today and you've been serving Jesus all your life, and you've been good, though you've battled in your mind the temptations of immorality and partying and doing this, and then you see somebody who's been immoral all their life and they've partied and they've done everything that you, you battled with doing, and then on their deathbed, they get saved. You go, not fair. Not fair at all. But see, that's the grace of God. As long as you have breath, you have hope. And so whether if you've been serving him all your life, or you've only been serving him for five minutes, you still have an inheritance that's equal to mine. Eternal life. Is there anything better than that? I don't think so. I've checked around. <laughs> You've checked around too, right? Verse 12, he says um, that at the time, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. Um, there was a time in our life that we had no hope. We didn't have the promises of God. We didn't understand the promises of God. We didn't have a clue about the promises of God. And, and for many of you, uh, you didn't even really know that there was one true and living God. And so he, he explains that to us, that we were far from it. He's talking to Gentiles, and he's telling them that this is how you used to be, but now you're not like that because now you've been quickened, made alive in Christ Jesus. Um, you no longer have to live like that. You can live like God wants you to. You once had no hope. You and I didn't have a relationship with God. We didn't understand his promises. And, but the Jews knew these things. The Jews, but here's the thing. Even though the Jews had the oracles of God, they had the word of God, they had the promises of God, they had the covenants of God, they were trying to do this and do that, the thing that God was trying to impress upon the Jews was you still got to be saved. You still need Jesus. You were to be the example, and I hope you were an example all the years of your life, but you need to be saved just like the Gentiles need to be saved. And that was kind of an offense to those guys because they didn't think it was fair because they felt they were closer. You and I were just strangers from the covenants and the promises. But look at the second half of uh, verse 12. It says, 
us having no hope and without God in this world but now. I, I love it. I said this last week. Remember, we, we, said, we looked at the Scripture and said, but God. When it told us how we were, it said, but God. And now, uh, I love the but nows or the but gods. And that kind of, I have to add another word because I don't want to say I love but. You know? It's, but whenever you see Scripture, but now, but God, but this, or but that, you got to go, awesome, something's about to happen. And what does it say there? It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. See, the Jews were nearer to God than we were. But the Jews needed to be saved just like us. They thought they were closer. But remember last week when we were talking about sin, transgression, trespasses and sins? The trespasses are... are, are um, premeditated sin stuff you're planning on doing hey hooking up with the guys tonight we're gonna go out and tie one on and whoo you know that's 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 transgression and then sin was stuff that just happens you know that stuff that comes out of your mouth you didn't expect or something like that and and so that's that and we talked about how sin is missing the mark remember that 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 it's like a target and you're shooting arrows and there's a bullseye and if you hit the bullseye you hit the mark you didn't sin but sin meant missing the mark. So if you got, whether you were an inch next to the bullseye or you were a foot away from the bullseye, you missed the mark. And so even though, God is saying, even though the Jews were nearer to God and the Gentiles were far away, God was saying Jew and Gentile needs to be saved. Because whether you're an inch away from Jesus or 50 miles away from Jesus, you're still lost. Does that make sense? Did you guys, did you ever see the, uh, the trapeze? Anybody ever go to the circus? Or am I just that old? Okay. So, the, you know, the tra- I li- you still love watching the trapeze guys, you know, because you got these guys swinging, and then you got some guy, and they're super high up in the air, and of course they've got a net below, um, but you could just drop and land on your head and break your neck. So um, they would swing, and then the guy would let go, and he would do like a somersault and reach out and grab this guy's hands on another bar, and that guy's hanging from his legs, right? And you're like, wow, that's nuts. And I remember one time that I saw these trapeze guys doing it with no net. And I'm thinking, they better be good. Because if you let go of that bar and you miss by 10 feet or you miss by one inch, you're dead. And that's what God is saying to us. You could be nearer to him like the Jews having the the word of God. But has the word of God penetrated your heart? Are you still living for yourself? You could be nearer than somebody else. And still be dead in your trespasses and sins. In verse 14, he says, For he himself, Jesus is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle of the separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Enmity means hatred. That is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances so as to create himself one new man from the two, from the Jew and Gentile, making them one, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. So he talks here, he says three different words uh, pertaining to the relationship between a Jew and a Gentile. 
He, he says, first word is separation. The second word's enmity. The third word's enmity. So I told you enmity means hatred. So the, what describes uh, the relationship between a Jew and Gentile was separation, hatred, and hatred. Double portion of hatred. Just hate each other. Now, you guys, if you guys have been in the Bible for a while, you've, you've noticed that the Temple Mount, that there was the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, and the court of the men. And, and if you were a Gentile, you had to stay in the court of the Gentiles. You couldn't go past. So they didn't mind Gentiles seeking after the God of Israel, but there was a limitation. They were on the outside court. It would be that court that later on they would use to pervert God's holy name and make merchandise of people, and that's where Jesus went and flipped the tables in the court of the Gentiles. He was furious. Turned the, the, a house of prayer into a den of thieves. So the Gentiles, there would be like this four-foot wall between them and the court of women, and there would be a sign. For the Gentiles, no Gentiles go past this wall. If you go past this wall, your punishment is death and the blood will be on your own hands because we warned you. And then the court of the women, they had a wall. They couldn't go past to the court of men. And God says, I've torn down that wall. I've torn down that wall. See, because a Jew used to wake up in the morning and thank God that he wasn't a dog, a woman, or a Gentile. Ladies, Jesus Christ was the best thing to ever happen to you. He set you free. He tore down those walls, and he said there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer man or woman. There's no longer bond or free, but one in Christ. Jesus brought us freedom, and if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. So, how do you make Jew and Gentile one? Look at verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the hatred, that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, bringing those two together, thus making peace, and that he may reconcile them both together to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. So that's how he does it. He unites them both by giving them the same Savior. I don't care what ethnic background you are. We all have the same Savior if we're born again. That's an awesome thing to think about. Look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you that were afar off, to those who were near. Speaking of us as the Gentiles, we were afar off. Speaking of the Jews that were close. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. That's an amazing thing to think about. The wall has been torn down. We all share the same Father. We all share the same Savior. We all share the same Holy Spirit. That's what unites us. We are one in Christ. In verse 19, he says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers. Praise the Lord. We're no longer foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. I love it. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We are partakers. We are one body. We are part of the family of God. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophet. What's the foundation 
of the apostles and the prophets? The Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God is that foundation. Let me read something else to you from um, Matthew 7. Well, I mean from Matthew. Um, This gets it across real, really good. It's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been talking to the people. And he says this in Matthew 7, verse 24. Listen carefully. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. And it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on sand and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. Now we've all heard that one before, right? What's he saying? What's the rock? Now, we commonly say Jesus because, you know, we know Jesus is referred to as the chief cornerstone. He's referred to as a rock. He was the rock that was with Israel in the wilderness. Paul tells us that. But you got to remember, he's not talking about Jesus right now. This is Jesus not talking about Jesus. It's Jesus talking about something else because he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, I will liken to him as a man that built his house on the rock. So what's the rock? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. In Psalm 138, did you know there's something that God puts higher than His name? Did you know that? You think there's nothing higher than His name. You know, in Psalm 138, God says, I put my Word above my name. The Word of God. Isn't that awesome to think about? And us having been built on the foundation of the apostles and uh, prophets. The apostles were the sent ones that preached the Word of God. The prophets were the ones that declared the Word of God and prophesied, thus saith the Lord, you better do this, here's what's going to happen. And that's the foundation of, of, of our faith is the Word of God through Jesus Christ and what He did. And He says Jesus Christ Himself is being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's awesome to think about when you stop and really ponder that. What is the foundation? It's it's the Word of God. And then we see that you and I are living stones. Uh, Peter calls us living stones, lively stones. We help make up the body of Christ. We are the temple of God. Christ dwells in us. We have the foundation that was laid by the apostles and the prophets. But Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. That is so important. Because it's from the chief cornerstone which everything else flows and is measured by. And that you and me, when we got saved, we were stones that were fitted perfectly. You ever done a puzzle and tried to make a piece fit? And you're trimming it with the scissors. There, it fits. It's not like that in the house of God. There's a perfect spot for you. And the body of Christ is building. The temple of God is building until one day where the Lord's, the Father says to the Son, go get your bride. 
And that's a beautiful thing when you think about it. And now you and me are the temple of God. In the old days of the temple, when it stood, it was where people went to meet God. But now, you and I having Christ in us, we are the temple where people meet God through us. Does God reign in your life? Do people see Jesus in your eyes? See, verses 21 and 22, the result are the temple that God is building of His church. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And in ancient times, that most important stone of all was the cornerstone. And if you remember with Jesus in His days when the temple was standing, when they built that temple during Jesus' time, the cornerstone showed up, but somebody just tossed it into a field, and they disregarded it. And, and then all of a sudden, when they're trying to get things rolling, they're like, well, where's the chief cornerstone? And they're going, I don't know. And everybody got out their little, you know, their little uh, sheets, and they started looking through everything, and someone said, hey, thing was delivered weeks ago. Where is it? Find it. And they found it. That chief cornerstone, which was rejected, speaks of Jesus Christ. Let me read something to you. In, in Psalm 118, verse 22, it says this, The stone which the builders rejected, speaking of Jesus Christ, has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day of the Lord that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. This was a song that the Jews would sing every year. And then they didn't even realize that they rejected the very one they were singing about. Isaiah 28, 16, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, tried stone, that means a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. And then here's the most scariest one, Matthew 21, 42, Jesus saying to the people, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone, and he was pointing to himself, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever this stone falls on, you'll be ground to powder. If you reject Jesus Christ, you will suffer eternal damnation. And in the ancient times, the most important stone was the chief cornerstone. It was the stone by which everything was measured off of. Jesus Christ is that chief cornerstone, and we have the privilege of measuring every part of our lives off of Him. Right? It's not, what would Steve do? It's Steve saying, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? He's my chief cornerstone. I'm just a stone that fits in there, but everything I do is based off, i got to stop and say, okay, Lord, what would you do in this situation? Lord, how would you respond in this situation? Lord, how, how would Jesus forgive? 
What would Jesus say? How would Jesus respond? How would Jesus forgive? I think that's the biggest battle that we have in the church today is unforgiveness. And if we could get that out of the way, we could be a powerful force to be reckoned with by the unsaved world. Because God hates unforgiveness. And don't ever think somebody needed the blood of Jesus more than you. And think about how much God has forgiven you. You need to forgive one another. You know the neat thing, and I'll close with this. The neat thing about having Christ in us is a total mind blower. And I don't think you've, gra- I, I don't know, maybe you have. I, I think there's a lot of Christians that haven't grabbed onto that you have the creator of the universe inside. Hello? The cherubims, the angels, they don't have that. They weren't made in God's image. We were made a little lower, but one day we'll be in our glorified body and we'll be higher than the angels. We were the only ones made in his image. Jesus didn't die for angels. He died for you. He placed Christ in you. Hello. I mean, you look at the throne. When you read the throne, you got the cherubims around the throne and God comes out in all his glory. And what did they do? Ah! Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They can barely stand in his presence. They cover their body. They cover their face. And God says, you know, I think I'm going to put all that in my children. I mean, could you imagine if God just allowed us to feel that for a moment? I know our faith is not based on feelings. But if all of a sudden you could feel, you'd go, whoa, whoa, are you kidding me? Right? God loves you. And he's placed his Holy Spirit into you to guide you. But he's not going to force you. So I want to pray that God will give you an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit says and to tell you what to say in a certain situation, what to do, how to respond, how to love, how to show grace, and how to forgive. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, right now I pray over the congregation and for myself, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh to overflowing. Let us be a light that shines bright for your glory. Lord, bring on all the gifts that you have for us, whatever it is. Lord, give us an ear to hear where you're guiding us to. Speak to us so clearly, Lord, and help us not to resist your will. That when you tell us to speak to that person, Lord, that we go and we speak to them. We don't have to worry. You'll put the words in our mouth. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Lord, we just pray that you would uh, use us in a mighty, mighty way and that we would step back and say, that was you, God, that wasn't me. And so, Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. God bless you guys.